Change the Trajectory of Your Career by Edward Iftedy Developing a growth mindset is superior to searching for a new job. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not, nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not, unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not, the world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Calvin Coolidge, 30th President of the United States. Let me start by saying, I firmly believe everyone thinks they are doing the best job they know how to do and are working as hard as they can to help the teams they work on. Yet two or three times a year, people who know what I do for a living will ask to talk. The conversation usually starts surprisingly direct. I need to talk to you. I'm having trouble with my boss. Sometimes people feel their reputation has been undercut, their ideas aren't being listened to, or they aren't being respected by their peers. And by their own admission, they might be acting up at work, working at odds against the team, and either spreading rumors or openly defying their manager or team members. Naturally, many people in this situation want to wipe the slate clean by moving on to a new job at another company. If an employee feels they are a victim and being persecuted, Moving on to a new job might seem like a natural reaction, but moving to a new job will only temporarily fix the problem. Without understanding how to apply a growth mindset to workplace problems, employees will only go on to repeat the same behavioral problems at a new employer. Sometimes the leaders I coach want to talk about how to painlessly get rid of a problem team member. At first, it may seem much easier to push someone out than it is to rehabilitate them. However, you should always keep in mind, Great leaders inspire and engage their team members. They don't simply shove people aside. You should also keep in mind, if you are churning through employees, it's very likely your leadership style isn't as strong as it should be. Eventually, C-suite members will start to notice. Staff turnover wastes time and costs money. A much smarter strategy is to try and reconcile with problematic team members. I believe passionately. By taking the time to understand where a troubled employee is coming from, leaders can analyze how they might be accidentally encouraging a fixed mindset on their team. In this article, The Learning Curve Using a Growth Mindset to Motivate Yourself Using a Growth Mindset to Positively Influence Others Failure and Bad Experiences are Opportunities for Growth Nurturing a Growth Mindset in Your Team Using the Learning Curve at Work your next actions to shift toward a growth mindset. After many years of research, Carol Dweck estimates that only 40% of people in the world have what she refers to as a growth mindset. Here's the problem, if you remain part of the 60% of people who have a fixed mindset, it is very likely you will spend your life giving up every time you're faced with any kind of serious challenge, dooming you to spend the rest of your life living exactly the way you are right now. Luckily, even if you currently are stuck with a fixed mindset, I have some very good news. Understanding the differences between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset is the first step toward making a lasting, positive change that will ultimately give you the power to change the way you think about yourself and the way other people think about you. Have you ever said or thought any of the following? This is impossible. We'll never get this done by the deadline. My colleague is an idiot. He will never learn how to do this properly. No one at work understands me. I've tried everything. Trying out ideas in this article are a waste of time. The Office, Giphy. If you've thought or said something similar you've given in to the negative power of a fixed mindset. Don't worry, 
we've all done it in the past and we will undoubtedly make the same cognitive error again in the future. On the other hand, if you've ever followed up your initial thoughts with something like, if everyone puts their heads together on this, we can do this. I'm not training my colleague the right way. I have to find a better way to get my point across. Have I really tried everything? Why don't I just try being a little more positive for one week and see if it makes any difference? I want to make a change, I want my colleagues to see me in a different light. So I'll give the ideas in this article an honest try. Gypji. Then you've overcome your fixed mindset and instead applied a growth mindset to the problem. Congratulations! In Carol Dweck's TED Talk, The Power of Believing You Can Improve, Carol talks about an experience early in her career where she introduced a difficult problem for a group of 10-year-olds to solve. Some of the children responded very positively, saying things like, I love a challenge. But some of the children responded in a drastically different way. They saw the problem as a direct challenge to their intelligence. Some students even reported a desire to cheat the next time they were faced with a difficult problem rather than facing failure and possible ridicule. After numerous studies and brain activity analysis, Dweck concluded some people seem to have been programmed with a growth mindset. Others are programmed with what Dweck refers to as a fixed mindset. It appears one key idea separates growth mindset people from fixed mindset people, growth mindset people understanding and apply the concept of the learning curve. The learning curve. The learning curve is a graphical representation of the improvement in learning over time. If you suffer from a fixed mindset, fear of failure can be a considerable barrier. When you fail at something, you feel like you've flipped a switch. You've wasted your time, your money, your labor, your effort. Now you have to start from scratch and your failure is out there for everyone to see. Now you will be judged by everyone who knows you. So naturally, if that's how you really feel about failure, why take on a challenge at all? Why not just keep doing what you know you can easily accomplish? Why risk failing and being judged by others? Now on the other hand, if you have a growth mindset and you understand mastery takes time and effort, then you understand failure is not a waste at all. Rather it is an opportunity to learn and to move up the learning curve toward ultimate success. Rather than seeing a setback as a permanent failure, you see a setback as temporary. You just haven't had enough time to solve the problem yet, what Dweck refers to as a grade of not yet. I heard about a high school in Chicago where students had to pass a certain number of courses to graduate, and if they didn't pass a course, they got the grade not yet. And I thought that was fantastic, because if you get a failing grade, you think, I'm nothing, I'm nowhere. But if you get the grade not yet you understand that you're on a learning curve. It gives you a path into the future. Carol Dweck. Using a growth mindset to motivate yourself. I think Dweck's message is so valuable because it's an important bridge between the concepts of motivating yourself and influencing others. An understanding of this concept will remind you that every action you take brings you that much closer to your career goals. Occasionally, we will experience setbacks. But by cultivating a growth mindset in ourselves and in those around us, we can become more resilient and relentless in the pursuit of any goal. At work, this concept helps us approach challenge and difficulty with an understanding that time and effort will ultimately result in success for ourselves and our team. The advice that consistent effort eventually pays off sounds so common and unremarkable, but it amazes me how many people give up on their dreams so quickly. After starting my company, PureLogics Corporation, I heard many stories from friends and colleagues thinking of starting their own companies, but most of these ideas either never got started or dwindled to nothing once the enormity of the task presented itself. 
rather than breaking the problem down into smaller, more manageable pieces, many people just said, no way, the challenge is too big. I can't do it. Giphy. When I started Pure Logics, I felt totally overwhelmed even though I had a solid idea of what I wanted to create. There were so many problems when I started out. I had no idea what forms to fill out. I didn't have the first clue about the difference between company structures. I didn't understand accounting, I didn't have an accurate billing system, I wasn't sure about legal issues or tax collection. But I enjoyed doing the research, step by step. I didn't look at building a company as one big problem. Instead, I looked at setting up my company a little like a hobby. It was okay if my idea didn't go anywhere. It was okay if I didn't make any money at it. At the time, I enjoyed putting in an hour or two every night and many more hours on the weekend because it was fun to dream about what might happen. And by tackling each issue one by one eventually, the company formed. First, I concentrated on building a product others were willing to pay for. Next, we chose a name for the partnership to operate under and registered the name. Then I investigated taxation, licensing and compliance to make sure I wouldn't get shut down right away. Only after the company was running did I finalize the company logo, billing software, accountant agreements, contracts, and legal counsel. I did the best I could do at each step with whatever I had available to me at the time. It wasn't a perfect package when we opened for business, but it was enough to start. Over time, we polished out software bugs, unpaid customer invoices, and tax collectors. Over time, we created a great business. I'd like to share another little known fact with any dreaming to be entrepreneurs, whether you are starting a new company or simply trying to solve one difficult problem. What your actual solution looks like in the end is often only slightly related to the original idea or plan you started with. When I started my first partnership our original goal was to create a software platform allowing customers to see their investment statements online. Over time, the business evolved into creating an administrative software platform, to creating analysis software to use with my own clients, to finally creating analysis software for financial professionals to explain investments in a very simple way to customers with little investment knowledge. It took a lot of time, experimentation and failure to achieve something really special. The point is you don't have to have the perfect plan or the perfect product before you get started. You only need to take action and the will to keep moving forward. This is why I think understanding the concept of the learning curve is so important. There were many times I hit a brick wall and failed miserably. I could have said, what a waste of time. I'm done. I've failed. But instead, the ideas were adjusted as new information presented itself and I applied what I learned to create something very different and very new. My final business looked nothing like the business I first intended, but in the end, everything we developed, everything we researched, all became building blocks leading to the final product with which we were ultimately financially successful. Understanding Dweck's concept of developing a growth mindset by understanding the learning curve is critical to keeping yourself motivated on your own journey. Using a growth mindset to positively influence others. A good understanding of this same concept I believe is also critical when trying to influence those around you. If you want to positively influence others it's critical you encourage everyone around you to start thinking of you as confident under pressure, a leader, a problem solver, a gooder person. If you're viewed as negative or a quitter you will naturally struggle and inspire. Turning setbacks into possibilities is a great way to demonstrate a growth mindset and true leadership capabilities.
Let me start with an example of how I think we can apply some of Dweck's ideas in the real world. In 2015, I started investing time with an organization in Osaka, coaching business skills. After a couple of months of hosting the seminar, I introduced a couple of YouTube videos of myself talking about different business skills. The video had my Facebook address at the bottom of the video in the introduction. After showing the video for the first time I was told by the organizers that I couldn't show the videos anymore because they considered the videos too promotional. I was annoyed. After all, I was already teaching the seminar, so what difference does it make if I have a Facebook page link in the video? How could I get seminar attendees more aware of my brand? My original thought was, what a waste of my time. I'm quitting if they don't change their minds. I started thinking of what I should draft in my email to the seminar organizer. Should I try to negotiate with him? Should I spend more time explaining why the videos are complementary to the work the organization is doing? Should I give him an ultimatum? After thinking about the problem for a while I tried putting it in terms of not yet. I realized even if I can't find an immediate solution, quitting completely would guarantee that I fail. I thought to myself, rather than quitting, why not explore different, more positive possibilities first, until I am sure there is no way forward. I realized the worst case scenario was I wouldn't spread my influence as widely as I first hoped. However, if I kept working hard and putting in my best effort, I believed some of the organization members would eventually want to know more about the work I do and how they can engage me in their own companies. If we are honestly going to try to follow Dweck's advice, we must first overcome our instinct to quit. Quitting is an emotional response, not a logical response, to disappointment or a setback. Quitting won't influence others around you in a positive way. It only guarantees frustration, disappointment and ultimately regret. Failure and bad experiences are opportunities for growth. How valuable is a failure? I'm going to propose to you. Failure is the single fastest way to learn and to achieve mastery of skills. In my opinion, the bigger the failure you make, the greater the lesson you learn. As a dear friend of mine regularly reminds me. If it isn't painful. It's not a lesson. Many years ago I worked at a four-star hotel in Vancouver. At first, I loved the job because I was driving expensive cars for hotel guests and meeting people from all over the world. It all seemed a little glamorous at first. Even so, after a couple of years of the same experience, I fell into a deep depression. I felt like I was at a dead end. I would have to completely start a new career after wasting three years of my life in an industry that I could not imagine continuing in for 40 more years. My work suffered. I had trouble getting out of bed every morning. Although I still enjoyed meeting people on holiday or on business, management at the hotel made everyone's job difficult and from time to time guests at the hotel could be ridiculously difficult to handle. A few guests had learned the hotel never sided with employees, no matter how stupid the complaint made by a guest. Management at the hotel was clearly not interested in the lives, development or happiness of the staff. They were only concerned with achieving bonuses and pleasing the people above them. I couldn't see how any of these terrible experiences were helping me in any way. I felt like I couldn't even learn how to be a manager since the managers I worked with seemed to be very poor role models. But perhaps in a way, I was lucky. I realized I was trapped and I feared to lose the only job I had. So instead of quitting I decided to do the best job I could do until I found a way out of the hotel and into a new career. I started looking at the people around me. Many guests were very successful, powerful people. By continuing to work hard and handle guests as professionally as I could, 
I started learning, little by little, about the financial field and about influencing others. It took nearly a year, but I eventually made my way into the financial industry. The real lesson was not only to continue working hard to get into a new career, I also learned no experience is a waste. At the time, I couldn't see how guest services at a hotel would ever help me in the financial world or as an entrepreneur but my hotel experience really did help me. After leaving the hotel industry I found I had an incredible advantage over other people I worked with when it came to customer service. I found I was better on the phone, I was better at organizing my work, but best of all I was much better at handling difficult customers. In fact, I quickly gained a reputation for being good at handling volatile, unreasonable customers. My hotel experience also taught me how to handle managers with low or no emotional intelligence. I learned how to control my responses to keep their emotional outbursts under control. I learned how to handle their constant overreactions and knee-jerk responses to any sort of stressful situation. I learned how to ignore the wild behavior and personal attacks. I learned to respond by steadily repeating the facts of a situation and not getting upset or responding emotionally. Finally. I learned how difficult work can really be. At the very least you can always look back to a terrible working experience and say, well at least my current situation is better than it was. The takeaway message here is, even when we think we are wasting our time, nothing is really lost. Even terrible experiences can ultimately help our future careers. I want you to think back over your career. I want you to remember your worst, most unbearable, most frustrating job you just like to forget. I have a challenge for you. I'd like you to ignore your emotions surrounding this experience for a few minutes. Rather than getting swept up in an emotional storm of frustration, I'd like you to think of and write down at least three things you learned from the experience that you've used at another job, or that gave you some sort of advantage later in life. Underscore. 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 Is it still too soon to pull up those old memories? Maybe, but I'm guessing if you think about it deeply enough you will. In fact, find valuable lessons you've been using that were taught to you by that tough time in your life. Embrace challenge, even if you can't see how the experience will help you in the future. Putting in your full effort will almost certainly result in a benefit for you somewhere down the line. Nurturing a growth mindset in your team. How do we use Dweck's research to start influencing others around us? Step 1 is embracing the power of not yet and keeping ourselves and our team focused on the process of achieving a goal rather than focusing only on the goal itself. In her TED Talk video, Dweck stresses the importance of praising wisely. Rather than patting ourselves, or our team members on the back for a job well done, we should instead be concentrating on what we learned during the process, how we overcame an obstacle to accomplish a task or what we would change in our process if faced with a similar problem in the future. By simply saying good job, and slapping a high five, we actually create more of a fixed mindset environment where we or our team members start seeking the high five rather than taking intrinsic rewards from the effort put into the job. By concentrating on process rather than reward or punishment, we demonstrate trust in the people around us and encourage self-starting, self-motivation, and project ownership. For example, instead of complaining, or sharing doubt about the ability to achieve a goal that will sap the energy of your team, help your team to stay focused on the process. Allow team members to help choose their contribution toward the team objective. Why do they want to work on a project? How do they think they can contribute best? Whenever possible, let team members suggest what steps they can take make to help complete different phases of a project. 
Let people play to their strengths first and develop weaker areas as a secondary goal. Let colleagues explain to the team what process they intend to follow to achieve their part of the team objective. A note to managers, remember when evaluating staff, try to stay away from KPIs whenever possible. When reviewing staff performance, allow your team members to explain their achievements in their own words. To reinforce the concept of not yet, break projects into easy-to-handle pieces. Make a deliberate effort to show you are listening to people around you, regardless of their position. This doesn't mean implementing every idea presented, but it does mean trying to thoroughly understand and seriously consider everyone else's opinions and ideas. Don't forget to credit the ideas of your team or individuals on your team. Keep team motivation high by repeating the importance of the project to the department and to the company. Keep giving your staff the power to be part of decisions. The more decision-making power you give to your staff the stronger the commitment and buy-in to the project will be. Using the learning curve at work. Early in my career, I was lucky to work for a guy named Mr. Neal. He wasn't a super friendly guy. But he believed in giving staff ownership of their jobs. Mr. Neal gave his staff complete freedom at work as long as you took ownership and accepted responsibility for the outcome you created. You just had to give him a big picture explanation of what you were trying to accomplish and if it made any sense at all, he'd almost always give you the go-ahead. Now, a lot of managers do the same thing, but what really made Mr. Neal different in my opinion was how he handled problems. At the time, I was managing the trading floor for Mark in a mutual fund dealership in Vancouver. I still remember the day he told me, Edward, take care of problems as you see fit. If it costs less than $2,000 to fix the problem, just make it go away as smoothly as possible for everyone. If you don't have the resources to solve an issue, come see me. And that's how we operated for the next couple of years until I left the firm to work with a new startup company. I only went to see Mr. Neal when a project was finished, or if I needed additional resources. When there were problems, he had the same three questions for me. What have you done so far to solve the problem? What's left to do to make all parties happy with the outcome? What part of your process are you changing to make sure this issue doesn't happen again? This concentration on process rather than reward and punishment gave me a real sense of confidence as projects and problems were overcome by my team. I credit Mr. Neal's hands-off management style with my growth mindset when it comes to working. I learned the concept of the learning curve and how every problem could be solved over time. I learned from Mr. Neal to leverage reciprocal relationships to help solve issues when I lacked resources. I learned to have confidence in my team members' ability to make valuable contributions and to overcome issues they ran into. I applied the same three-question technique with my own team. Every problem was approached as a learning opportunity. If customers called in demanding who made a mistake on their trades or why an issue had arisen, I went back to the same three questions Mr. Neal always asked me. Early on in my management career, I realized explaining in detail how and who had made a mistake always ended up with the customer even angrier. Instead, I would ignore the customer's demands for who screwed up or how did this happen? Instead, I would immediately start with what the department had done to fix the issue. I followed up with explaining what was still outstanding and an approximate deadline for the problem to be completely resolved. I finished by detailing what SOPs had been adjusted to make sure the same issue would not happen again. I encouraged my team to use the same strategy with me. I instructed my staff, just keep me in the loop and let me know if you need additional resources or suggestions. By the time I left the company, my department could operate completely autonomously.
I felt confident when I went on holiday or on a business trip that my team would handle any issue that might arise in my absence. They knew what to do and who to call if they ran into trouble. Be the change you want to see in the world. Mahatma Gandhi Note to self Quitting my job seems like the easy way out, but it's not a new beginning. It's just hitting the reset button. I'll just be starting the cycle over again. Changing the way people see me takes time, but most of all it takes consistency. I need to consistently display my growth mindset to others. I can't work on changing my influence this week and forget about it next week because I'm having a problem at home, or I don't feel like it, or someone made me angry. Dweck's reminder of the learning curve reminds me that even if I do have a small backward slip, it's not the end of the world. It will take more time, but the hard work I've put in to change the perceptions of those around me doesn't reset to zero. Regroup and continue building on the good work I've done in the past, on my way to a brighter future. You can do this. Your next actions to shift toward a growth mindset. List three life goals you've started on, but you haven't been able to achieve. For example, I haven't learned to speak Japanese fluently. I haven't lost all the weight I want to lose. I haven't convinced my boss about my big idea. I haven't turned my office enemy into an ally. 2. Now, add the word yet to all of the life goals you listed. 3. Finally, write down one simple action to restart progress toward achieving each goal. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Lao Tzu